0: Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is a message given by Tom Job on Monday, November thirteenth, two thousand twenty-two, from the book of Philemon.
1: So, so we've been talking like about well, when it's been my turn, we've um, I just have been taking like you know like most. Lots of the New Testament is just letters that different people wrote, and a lot of them were letters that Paul wrote. And some of them were to like communities of Christians, and some of them were just to like individual people. So I went, and I just thought, like, every time it was my turn, I just like, so what is Romans all about? So what is Ephesians all about? And I just wanted to take a little bitty one today, and it was just to one person the letter to Philemon. And I just wanted to read you one. This is one of my favorite verses where he said, He says, your love has, in verse seven, has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. And then just a few verses down when he gets to the end, I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ, confident of your obedience. I write to you knowing you will do even more than I ask. One more thing, prepare a guest room for me because I'm coming your way. So you better do what I'm asking you to do. So let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you so much. Help us to understand this. I just feel like it's something that a person has to understand with their heart. In Jesus' name, amen. So there was a, oh gosh, this was several years ago. I was running in the country music marathon in Nashville. And you know how like when you run a marathon, well, they give you a number, like you have a number and you pin it on your shirt. I think I was 13147 or something like that. And then I noticed that a lot of people who were running the country music marathon, on the back of their shirt, they would have a name like um, Billy or Sally or Chuck. And I thought, I wonder why they have a name on their shirt. Maybe they're running in memory of someone. And then when we got towards the end and it got you know a little bit more difficult and there were a lot of people on the side of the road, and they started yelling, go Billy! go Sally and I thought oh my goodness go Chuck nobody said go 13147 you know like but it would have been cool for somebody to you know know your name the only time I ever really got a shout out based on like the number on my shirt in a race it was the Knoxville Marathon which in the Knoxville Marathon this was a few years ago I think I was like 64 or something like that and I was um so you come out on Nayland Stadium like you come into Nayland Stadium and the finish line is the 50 yard line and you're up on the Jumbotron which sounds cooler than it is because you you're 47 feet tall looking worse than you've ever looked in your entire life. But there's a guy, there was a guy in the public address system, and he was like reading people's numbers as you came in and saying things about you. So he read my number, and he said, so here comes, let's see. Tom Job from Oliver Springs. Wow, Tom's old, he's like 64. He said, but he's coming in third in 60 to 65 year olds. Oh, I know why Tom's running so good. He's chasing those two college girls up ahead of him. And I thought. Are you kidding me? I did, well, I looked and there were two girls. I didn't know, I didn't know they were there. I was like, I, I, I've only chased one girl my entire life and I caught her and I've been with her for 50 years. Come on now. I didn't pay you $70 for you to hurt my feelings. Instead of running that mouth, why don't you come down and run this race next year? I'll give you 40 years old. I'll whoop your tail. But... Oh, man. There's one thing. So that one thing happens out at the Morgan County prison is when, um, so like like guys that take my class or people that come to like our Wednesday night worship service, there's guys that have come to know the Lord. And I mean, they're in there for some reason, which I never want to know why they're in there. But they come to know Jesus and they have these massive, these gigantic personalities. And they're so full of joy and so full of love. And they praise the Lord. And it's just so... Um, just so awesome the way they like that like if like some of those guys like if they have to be at work at say, 5 o'clock in the morning, like in the kitchen or in the laundry or something. they get up at 3 o'clock in the morning to have time with Jesus. I mean, they're just amazing. There, were, there was a movement a couple of months ago that they called it the, 3, 5, the 815 Movement, where they were encouraging all of the guys that knew Jesus at 815 in the evening to get together and pray for the Spirit of God to move through the Morgan County prison. And if a guy was at work in the kitchen or whatever, at 815 to stop and pray. I mean, they're they're just amazing guys. But they all have a um, Tennessee Department of Corrections number. Like when you go into prison, they give give them a number, whether they're in there 18, you know, for 18 months or 38 years, they have the same number. So, And sometimes when I'm teaching my class and we're laughing and talking about all this stuff, and if a guard will come in and they're taking the role, and if they don't, like, know people's names, they'll just take the role and call out their number instead of their name. And when that happens, all of the guys just go, their face and their affleck just goes flat it's like, it's like taking air out of their personality because somebody is just knowing them like by a number. And um, another thing they do, I think, kind of to do that same kind of thing is everybody always has to wear the same thing and they wear just a t-shirt and kind of a blue shirt over the top of it. And they wear this, in the wintertime, they wear this really cool, um, it's a big heavy jean jacket. And I asked the guys, I wonder what I would have to do to get me one of those jackets. And they said, "Well, there's a number of things you could do to get one. None of them are worth it." But <laughs> the, so, but there's a guy in um, there's a guy in the book in the in the letter that Paul wrote to the Romans, in chapter 16. which chapter 16 is a chapter where um, he's saying hello to people, like he was writing it from um, Corinth and there were people that he knew in Rome, say hello to this person, say hello to that person. And then some people that were with him, they were also giving their greetings. And towards the end of the chapter, there's a, a person who said, there, there's a, it was actually the guy that Paul was dictating the letter to and he was writing it down. And maybe Paul had to like go to the bathroom for a second. he said, I, Terseus, who write this letter, greet you in the Lord, like love y'all. And uh, Paul's taking a break and I'm just saying, hey, love y'all. Um, his name was Terseus, his name was Tersio. But that's not a name. It's a number. Um, it's the number three. And he was probably a slave. And he didn't have a name. He had a number. There's just something about your name. I, I was listening one time. There was a, this young international student, and she, her name was Shefali Kumkali. And she said, when you go to Starbucks, you know, and you order your double mocha frappuccino, and then they say, what name is with the order? And she said, for us international students, like, I would say Shafali.' And she said, what? And she said, Shafali, Say that again. Shafali. How do you spell that? And she said, S-H-E-F-A-L-I. Spell that again. And so finally, she just said, Sheila. So it's was like, what's, so what's your name? What name should I put with the order? And she just said, Sheila. And she realized that a lot of internationals do that. Like if their name was Guglielmo or Evodia or something like that, and then they would just say, let's just say it's Bud or you know Sally or something like that. And, they, and her mother came to visit her. And, so, and she took her to Starbucks. And they said, what name goes with the order? And she said, Sheila. And her mother said, Sheila. And she said, yeah, mom, it's my coffee name. You know, it's just your, it's just like the name, the name you give. So. Anyway, so there's this letter that um, Paul wrote. It's just a little postcard that he wrote um, to this person in the city of Colossae. Paul was in Roman prison. And um, and his name was Philemon, and he was a slave owner. Um, he was a slave master. And he was writing about a a slave. Paul was writing to him about his slave, whose name was Onesimus. That wasn't really his name. Biblical scholars say that Onesimus was a very common slave name, like they would just take your real name and give you a name. It meant profitable or something like that. And the story, that kind of the whatever backstory that people have always kind of believed about this letter, is that Philemon, um, so he had this slave who escaped from him. And like lots of escaped slaves, they would go to Rome, which was a big city, and you could hide. Nobody could ever find you. But he had gotten kind of scared or whatever and didn't know anybody. The only person that he knew was Paul, who had been a person who had come to his city and helped a lot of people grow in their faith, including his master Philemon. And so he went to find Paul just because he needed some help and somebody that knew him. And he not only found Paul, but he also found Jesus, that Paul had helped him to find Jesus. So it never really says that in the letter. It's just kind of the narrative that people have always believed about it. It could be that Philemon had sent Onesimus to Paul in Rome to help him in some way because like if a person was in prison, like you had to come up with your own money or you had, to, you had to provide your own food, your own TP and all that stuff. And so maybe he was going and taking him some stuff and he had come to know Jesus. And then Paul was sending Onesimus back to Philemon. And people think, like back to slavery? So like Paul was sending Onesimus back to be a slave again? Like slavery? Is Paul like okay with that? What's going on? Like if you read about slavery, like if you read about slavery, if you read about slavery as it was in our country for 250 years, Initially, the way Africans got here was 13 million of them were kidnapped from their families and from their homes. And they were held in dungeons in West Africa until there were enough of them to fill a ship in horrible conditions. 13 million human beings left the coast of Africa. Only 10 million made it to the shores of the Americas, and 3 million were just dumped in the ocean when they were dead. And then, when that just like 1808, that's just too horrible. That's just too horrible. We can't do that anymore. And so, we outlawed the transatlantic slave trade. And then, the thing that existed was the domestic slave trade. 50% of all slave sales in the United States separated a nuclear family, children from their parents, never to see them again. 25% of all slave sales in the United States separated a marriage, never to see each other again. And there were people, like when, you, when I read about people who, some of them had been people that I really loved and admired, and there were some that really spoke against it. John Wesley, he said, "This is this is the worst evil ever." Charles Spurgeon, yes, and I was so proud of him because he spoke out so strongly against it about the evil of the of American slavery. And there was, so there's a woman. He said he said they call it the the. Uh, peculiar institution he said that's okay to call it that if you're going to say that satan is a peculiar kind of angel and that hell is a peculiarly hot place but so there's a woman named rebecca mclaughlin who's a british woman who wrote a book um a couple of years ago, and it was the Christianity Today Book of the Year, and it was just basically an apologetical book about Christianity, but she was talking about slavery and what the Bible actually says about it, and she said, Charles Spurgeon, the great British preacher was so much against it that whenever he came to the United States to preach, wherever he went, they had massive burnings of his sermons everywhere in the southern United States, which was true, but he never did. so. I. I never ever do this, but I emailed, I listened to the audiobook of it, and I, so I emailed her, I found her email, and I said, Dear Miss McLaughlin, I loved your book. I loved listening to it.' You kind of remind me of Hermione Granger if she was 28 years old and got saved. And she said, and I said, I need to tell you something for later editions. It was so awesome. But Charles Spurgeon actually never did come to the United States. And the reason was because there were so many threats against his life. And she wrote me back and said, thank you for pointing that out. We will correct it for later editions. And thank you for saying that I reminded you of Hermione Granger. You know, but, but there were other people like, like Jonathan Edwards, who I had always loved him. And I just, his mind and his heart. And Jonathan Edwards was one of the few people who said that the transatlantic slave trade was an evil. And he also said that Native Americans and Africans and, and white people are all equally, infinitely valuable and have infinite dignity. In the sight of God, which not everybody said and was the first. And he said, evangelization of Africa will never go forward until we end the transatlantic slave trade. And was the first pastor to admit Native Americans and Africans in full membership in his church. The only thing is, he owned 20 human beings. And I didn't know it. I'm like, and they said, well, he was kind to them. Well, how did they get here? What about that? And what if somebody decides they don't want to work for nothing anymore? That option is not afforded to them, John. You know, I just, I, so, but one thing that has been such a burden on my heart, as you read about the history of it, is that slavery couldn't have existed in America if didn't have the support of denominations and pastors and theologians who defended slavery. And they said that they defended it from the Bible. And I'm like, how do you do that? How do you possibly do that? there were people that I'm like, are you kidding me? So but they basically said three things about it. This was the basic three defenses that people had, um, theologians and pastors, in defense of slavery. One, in the Bible, Abraham owned slaves. Well, you know what? Abraham did a lot of things. So like Abraham (laughs) lied about his wife, Because he lied about his wife, she was constrained to have sex with the Pharaoh of Egypt. And he had sex with one of his slaves, but he had some things that needed sorted, as the Brits say. Um, So in the New Testament, slavery, it's a function of the Roman Empire. What are you going to do about it? But in the Old Testament, the laws of God never outlaw it. I'll never abolish it, don't abolish slavery. So there you go. Okay, abolitionists and African American pastors and theologians said this, there are a lot of laws in the Old Testament that what they're doing is they're regulating sin. They're laws designed to limit the damage of the train wreck that is the human situation ever since Genesis chapter 3 and humanity rebelled against their creator, God. So there are laws about divorce, like to protect women in a paternalistic society. But Jesus said in Matthew 19, that was never God's will, that people do that. It's because humans have hard hearts. And we're just trying to control the damage of it. There are laws about what you can do if somebody punches you in the face and knocks your tooth out. You can only punch them in the face and knock their tooth out. You can't knock their block off. But it was never God's will that anybody punch anybody in the face. Ever since people rebelled against God, human beings have always exploited each other and enslaved each other. In the Old Testament, people became slaves by being conquered in war or going into debt. But if you kidnapped anyone and brought them into slavery, that was a capital crime. But in the Old Testament, if a person became a slave, it was only going to last for six years. And in the seventh year, the master not only had to set them free, but also set them up and pay for their start of their new life as a free person and as a free family. According to Deuteronomy chapter 23, if a slave escaped from their enslavement and came into your sphere of influence, you were obligated to protect them. And not send them back if they could escape they were free it's like the 1950 Fugitive Slave Act only the opposite of it um, and Isaiah chapter 2 one African American theologian said Isaiah chapter 2 says that the vision of the Old Testament was that the nations of the earth would come to know the laws of the people of the true God and say, there has never been a God so kind and compassionate. And there have never been laws this compassionate and fair with the hope that they would adopt the laws of Israel, which would mean that the vision of the Old Testament of six-year slavery was a vision of global abolition of all slavery and worldwide emancipation of all slaves. Wow. What are you going to say about that there, fellas? Well, what about Philemon? So Paul sent Philemon back into slavery. Okay, so that all depends. I mean, Paul sent, Paul told. Onesimus to go back into slavery with Philemon. OK, so all of that depends on how you read that book. And how you read the book of Philemon, how you read the Bible at all, a lot of it depends on what culture you're coming from. Like, there, So there was a professor. And he was teaching a class in the early 90s in Moscow. and 30, of his students were American. 30 of his students were Russian. So we had them read the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15 and retell it in their own words. All of the Russians, except for four, included a detail that none of the Americans included. And the detail was there was a famine in the land. And the reason is because those older Russian students had gone through one. And they remembered what it was like. So. Um, Okay, so here's, here's how you can read the letter that Paul wrote to the Philemon. One thing about Paul and one thing about Philemon is that they were Roman citizens. What that means is they had certain rights. So Paul one time was arrested for telling people about Jesus and they beat him up. And they threw him into prison. And then the guy who did all that stuff, he accepted Jesus that night and his whole family. It's a long story. But anyway, in the morning, the city officials said, OK, you can tell your guys free to go. And so he went and said, OK, you guys are free to go. And Paul said, nope, nope. I am a Roman citizen. And he said, what? You're a Roman? We didn't know that. Oh my goodness! That I have to see you in a. We weren't allowed to do what we did to you. I have to see you in a whole new way. Um, to be a Roman citizen meant you were due respect. The word respect is a Latin word. The word re, which means again, like repeat, re enlist, regurgitate. There it is again. You know it. And the word spect is where we get the word spectator, spectacle, spectacles. And it means to see. To respect someone means I need to see you in a new way. So over in chapter 25 of the book, Paul got arrested again for telling people about Jesus and it was always happening to him. And then the governor said, okay, so there's some people in Jerusalem that want to put you on trial. Do you want to go down there? And he knew it was a trap. And he said, no, because I am a Roman citizen. I have a right to be tried in front of Caesar. Really? Yes. Because if if you're a Roman citizen, what matters is The king's regard. So the word "regard" is a Latin word. "Re" means again, and "guard" means to evaluate or to judge someone. You need to see me in a new way because the only your judgment of me doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is what the king says about me, what the Caesar says about me. Paul was a Roman citizen, and. And he had the right to respect, to be seen in in a new way. And the only thing that mattered ultimately was what the king said about him. Philemon was a Roman citizen. He had the right to be seen in a certain way. And ultimately, the only thing that matters was what the king said about him. Onesimus was not. Onesimus had known nothing but a life of being disrespected and disregarded as far as the kingdom of Rome was concerned. The only thing is, the kingdom of Rome was not going to last from now until kingdom come. As a matter of fact, a new king had come. A king had come from heaven. He came to our Earth and he died and he rose again to inaugurate a new kingdom, an invisible kingdom, a parallel kingdom that will one day be the only kingdom. And Paul wrote to the Colossians, which that's where Philemon lived, in a letter that he was going to give to Omnisimus to take to him. And in that letter, he said, we've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son. And an invitation had been offered to whoever would want to believe in Jesus and become a citizen of his kingdom. The people who were most willing and most wanting to accept that invitation and become a citizen of that kingdom were people who had been disrespected And disregarded their entire life. And now they had to have, now they had an opportunity to be seen in a new way. And the only thing that was going to matter about them is what their new king had to say about them. Philemon was an exception when he accepted the invitation to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19 verse 24. That it's difficult that rich people would do this. But he had. And so Paul was writing this letter, this little letter, to Philemon and say, let me tell you what has happened to your slave Onesimus. He has become a citizen of the kingdom of Jesus. You're a citizen of that kingdom. And I'm a citizen of that kingdom. And he has rights. He has rights to be seen in a new way by you, because the only thing that matters about him is what our King says about him. Philemon Onesimus has been born again. He has a new heart. He has a new name. According to verse 5, he is at least Saint Onesimus. You know, there's a, there's a, uh, there's a place where um, Jesus said to everyone he loves, he gives them a new name. There's something that he sees about you. He gave people that he loved nicknames. He has a name for you. It's something that he sees in you. When you wake up in the morning and you spend time with him, he tells you why he loves you in a special way. When you get to heaven. And Jesus calls you that name. And you know in your heart that that's his new name for you. And other people say, what did Jesus just call you? And you can say, that's the name he used to call me when he woke me up in the morning. Let's just say it's my coffee name, you know. And he had a new, Onesimus had a new place in the kingdom of God. Philemon, you know what? Onesimus. I tell you, this is how you need to see him. This is what the king says about him. The king says, Onesimus, who was your slave, is a child of the king. You, buddy, are my son in the faith. Onesimus is my son in the faith and a child of our king. If you're my son in the faith, and he's my son in the faith. You two are brothers. I am sending you back a child of the king and your brother. You know what I want you to do. Because nobody enslaves their brother. Come on now, do what I'm asking you to do. I know you're going to do it. Sometimes I think, of somebody like Tercius, you know, um, writing down a guy who had a number for his name. And he's writing the letter to the Romans as Paul's dictating it to it. And he gets to a place, a person who's had been nothing but disrespected and disregarded his whole life, and he gets to the part where he says, and God has not given us a spirit of bondage. By the way, in the letter to Philemon, Paul uses the word being in bondage of himself and other people seven times the only person he says is not in bondage is onesimus but you know and Tertius is reading this thing where it says god hasn't given us a spirit of adoption i mean a spirit of bondage leading but he's given us a spirit of adoption whereby we cry out abba father and Tertius can say god is my daddy And I'm his son. He might have had to ask Paul to take a break because his tears were smudging the ink. And I think about Onesimus. Paul giving him the letter to the Colossians to deliver to the Colossians. By the way, I have a note for you to give to your, you know, Philemon. Do you want to hear it? And Onesimus just standing there a person has known nothing but disrespect his whole life, to hear the apostle Paul say, he is a child of our King. Here stands your brother in Christ. Here is one just like you that I call beloved. There was a guy, one of my heroes is a guy named Josiah Henson. Josiah Henson was a slave. He lived a whole. Horrible. It was horrible for him. He He was the person that Harriet Beecher Stowe used as the model for Tom in Uncle Tom's Cabin. And he finally escaped. He was captured twice in his escape and escaped two more times. And he finally made it to Ontario, Canada, where he started a settlement. Four escaped slaves called the Dawn Settlement. And he went back and forth, back and forth, leading slaves out of bondage on the Underground Railroad to Canada. But he talks about the life that he had lived, and he talked about the first time he ever was able to go to a church when he was 18. And he heard a preacher who hated slavery tell the gospel, and he said, And this is what I heard for the first time in his life. When I heard that the Son of God had died for all, the poor, the one in bondage, the African in his chains, I stood and heard it, and it touched my heart, and I cried out, I wonder if Jesus Christ died for me. And I was overwhelmed by the idea that he, that I myself a poor and despised and abused creature deemed by others fit for nothing but unrequited toil and mental and bodily degradation was known and loved by Jesus himself. Oh, the blessedness, the sweetness of feeling that I was loved. I would have died that moment with joy and kept repeating to myself the compassionate Savior about whom I have heard loves me." So we're going to take communion now, and we're going to. And I want you to think about this as you take the bread, and as you you don't have to be a member of church here or anything like that, all we ask is that you believe in Jesus, that you know that you believe in Jesus in your heart. And I want you to take the bread And I want you to take the cup and we'll hold it and then we'll take it together. But I want, the only thing about you, it doesn't matter what people say about you. It doesn't matter what you've heard your whole life. It doesn't matter the disrespect and disregard. The only thing that matters now is what does your king say about you? And what he's telling you is, you're my child. You're the brother of all who love me and you
0: are my mother. I am a child of the maker of stars, oh, the one who knows everything, handmade my heart and he cherishes, treasures me, gave life and blood, well, he is my friend and I'm it feels like my life's just a mess, only failures and struggles, no sign of success. But Jesus is for me, He sees me so differently, loves me, accepts me, I'm choosing to Handmade my heart And he cherishes, treasures me Gave life and blood He is my friend And I'm his beloved Sometimes I feel like I'm not good enough That I have no future I have no worth, but the God of all galaxies has a good plan for me, leads me and helps me. I'm choosing to believe that I am a child of the maker of stars, oh, the one who knows everything. Handmade my heart and He cherishes, treasures me Gave life and blood, He is my friend And I'm His beloved I am a child of the maker of stars Oh, the one who knows everything, handmade my heart, and he cherishes, treasures me, gave life and blood, well, he is my friend, and I am his beloved.